Hey guys, I'm Stephanie Wallace, and this is Independence Radio, a broadcast of Independence Care System. Independence Radio is a series of conversations with members of the ICS community about issues of health care and independent living for people with disabilities and older adults. My guest today is Nettie Harper, director of ICS's Dementia Program. Nettie shared with me some information that anyone dealing with issues of dementia will find surprising and even encouraging. Enjoy the conversation. Is dementia different from Alzheimer's? Is it a part of it? Is it just explain it to me, please, because I'm a little confused about that. Sure, sure. Dementia is just a general term for a loss of memory and some other mental abilities, such as, you know, uh, problems with communicating, uh, difficulty with uh, concentration. Um, there also may be some changes with mood, um, such as, you know, they may have some apathy. Uh, there also may be some decreased reasoning skills and possibly a lack of judgment. Um, There's also at times um, socially inappropriate behavior. Um, However, you know, it needs to be severe enough to interfere with daily life. And what's happening is um, these symptoms are occurring because there's physical changes in the brain. Now, Alzheimer's disease is actually a diagnosis. So it falls under the umbrella of dementia. And so what happens in Alzheimer's disease, there's key enzymes in the brain that are malfunctioning, and it's causing the buildup of plaques and tangles. And these plaques and tangles, they actually restrict the flow of blood and oxygen and the neurons, and it's causing them to die. And that's what's happening is you're getting this, um, these enzymes are building up in the brain, and it's causing, it's kind of like a subway. You know when a subway and the train breaks, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe we're riding the two train, and that breaks down, and all of a sudden we have to find a different neural pathway to get to our destination, right? So that's what's happening in the brain. We have these plaques and tangles that have built up in the brain, and we're trying to find a new way to communicate. You got it. You got it. However, as people progress through Alzheimer's disease, you know, they will have lost about 40% of their brain function. But that means there's 60% left to work with. And so what that means with us at ICS, we need to figure out what are still those strengths because they can still make connections with us clear till the end of the disease process. And I think that's the part we need to focus on is how do we still make those connections. And when you say to the end of the disease process, What's the end of the disease process? So what typically will happen is the individual um, will usually lose the ability to walk, maybe need assistance with their dining process, assistance with their toileting, assistance with bathing. So all of what we call those activities of daily living, they're going to lose the ability to do those independently and may need total care. However, what I always like to focus on is they still respond to touch. They can still respond to your voice. And those are the things I think, you know, sometimes we get so focused on all the loss, what is still there and how can we make those connections? Okay, now does dementia always get worse? Dementia does get worse. If you have a dementia such as Alzheimer's disease, uh, dementia with Lewy body, frontal temporal dementia, because there's over 100 dementias. Oh, gosh. 
Some of them are reversible conditions. And so what we try to educate people about is looking at um, the acronym dementia. And so when we look at an acronym and you start with D, if people are having drug interactions, they can appear to have a memory loss because it's affecting the brain, right? right? Mm -hmm. But then we kind of Mm -hmm. reconcile the medications because some people react very differently to medications. So we look at the drug interaction, we clear that up, and then all of a sudden that person can return to baseline. And there wasn't in Alzheimer's disease. Another one for the E in dementia is an emotional disorder such as depression. So a lot of times we have to weed out, is it an Alzheimer's disease or is it depression? And then maybe have an antidepressant or get involved in your community and all of a sudden, you know, we're treating that depression and the person is not diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Take the M in dementia and um, look at metabolic uh, disorders or um, thyroid. Mm -hmm. A lot of times if you treat those disorders, again, you can return to your baseline. Then you take the E, and this one's very simple, but we miss it a lot, eyes and ears. Mm. I personally wear glasses, and sometimes when I'm walking around the city and I don't have those glasses on, I can look like there's something, right, some confusion right. because I can't That's see me. the signs, right? So put my eye, my glasses on and hopefully and they're the clean. I All of a sudden, yeah. I'm much more clear. And mm-hmm. the same with putting on hearing aids. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure that the batteries are working and that they're clean of right. the earwax. And then you want to take N in the dementia, the nutritional intake. Mm-hmm. So I don't know about you, but around 3 o'clock every day, I can become very um, angry and confused. And the reason is <laughs> I'm hungry. So give us some food and all of a sudden we return right, back right. to baseline. So that's reversible. But in all seriousness, some of the people that we are working with at ICS, they might not have great nutritional intake. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we get maybe Meals on Wheels involved. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they're getting really good nutrition okay. and they don't need to be treated mm-hmm. like they have Alzheimer's disease. And the other one, uh, the T in dementia is tumors. So some tumors can be removed, and, you know, with tumors, they can be pushing Push on areas of the brain, right. right? So that's a reversible one. And then I, the infections. We don't really feel well when we have a urinary tract infection or pneumonia, and a lot of times we can be more confused, and that's a treatable. And our last one, we have some arteriosclerosis and congestive heart failure. And, again, we treat that because that's a clinical acute treatment that we need, Mm -hmm. we treat that, and then we return back to baseline. So those are all reversible, but then there's those ones that are not reversible. Now, are are these things that you mentioned, are these things like if a person goes to their doctor with concerns about dementia or something like that, do they take them through this type of, like, do they cover all these things to make sure, weed that out and make sure none of these things are present? What we hope for is that they do. If they're going to a really good geriatrician, they will look into all that. What I am trying to get across is it's very important that we rule out everything before we start labeling people with an Alzheimer's disease or dementia with Lewy body. What is that, Lewy body? What, What is Lewy body? So it's another type of dementia. And it has some different hallmarks. So with Alzheimer's disease, it has the plaques and tangles. 
And with the dementia with Lewy body, a lot of times what you'll see is you can go in and out of lucidity. Um, you actually can have more of hallucinations or delusions that are more of a hallmark. And one of the most important things with dementia with Lewy body is we have to be very careful on using medications to kind of minimize or eliminate those symptoms because it can actually make it worse. And again, a, new, a good geriatrician will do some, um, you know, some MRIs and some PET scans and mm -hmm. things like that of the brain to see what's going on there as well. But a good geriatrician will rule out all of these things. Mm -hmm. I tell you what the hardest thing to rule out, though, would be the depression. Oh, right. Okay. And, what, and what age? Is there a certain age that doctors start looking you know, if you if I if I came in at my age, I'm 48. If I came in, would they and with these concerns, would they look at somebody my age? Like maybe this is the onset of dementia, or does it start at a certain age that they start looking? So many people believe that it is an old age disease. It in fact is not. Mm. Alzheimer's disease can hit at earlier ages. I've actually uh, worked with an individual that was in their 30s. Uh -huh. And so it can happen. Um, there are individuals um, of a, a different type of dementia, uh, frontal temporal dementia, and that seems to hit at an earlier age before the age of 65. Mm. So we can't say that it is an old age. I think we're getting better at diagnosing these dementias. And I think that's why we're understanding that it's not an old age disease any longer. It can hit very early. And I think what was happening before is many people in their 40s or 50s or even 60s were being misdiagnosed. Okay. So how did, you, how did you come to be involved in this field? So it happened when I was in college. I went to the University of Florida, and I decided to go to the Career Resource Center and uh, get some volunteer work because I was going to apply for grad school. And they sent me to an adult daycare program. And in that adult daycare program, they cared for individuals with a memory impairment. And I started uh, working there, not working, volunteering three times a week. And I did it for six months. And then I decided, well, I am really going to go to grad school, but volunteering is not going to pay for it. And at the time, I was only working at uh, a pizza joint, Five Star Pizza, and that was not going to pay the bills for uh, grad school. So I went in and I talked to the director and I said, I need a job. I'm obviously uh, dedicated. I've been here for six months. And she gave me a job as a case manager. So I went into people's homes and I coordinated their care. But I also worked alongside a woman named Ethel, who was the home health aide. And she was 66 years old. And to this day, she's probably my best mentor. Um, we would go in and we would provide um, baths and we would provide um, personal care of, you know, uh, what clothing they needed, um, what uh, meals they needed. We do some housekeeping and things like that. And then um, they said, since you're going to be a rec therapist, you do the personal care for two hours and then do engagement for two hours. So I'd be in the home with the client for four hours, and I'd see three clients a day, and that's how I got my start. Oh, okay. And I haven't looked back. Now, when you when you are dealing with someone, because I, I imagine when somebody starts to lose their memory, it's it's almost like like a wall goes up as like if if you were my mother and you started to lose your your memory or whatever and you don't remember who I am or or whatever and it's almost like the person is pushed back you do you understand what i'm saying like not 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 uh discarded but it's like the, because the communication mm -hmm. is not what i require right 
you know, you sort of lose touch with that person. And so how do caregivers keep the family member who is having this problem? How do you keep them engaged? How do you keep them involved? Do you, do you understand what mm-hmm. I'm Absolutely. getting at? Absolutely. Okay. So there's a couple of things I just want to touch on that you mentioned because I think they're extremely important. Um, I think it's important for family members to um, understand that while they may not know your name, while they may say, oh, it's my mom or something, think of who they're calling you. If they're calling you their mom, that's an endearing person, right? right? Mm-hmm. So you're bringing them comfort. The other thing to look for, and I was actually at a member's house the other day where the spouse said he doesn't recognize anybody in the family anymore. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even recognize the grandchildren. So happened that the grandchildren lived upstairs, and I said, would you mind if they come down? I'd like to witness this uh, interaction. As soon as they came in, he lit up. Now, is it important that he knows each of their names? No, but... It is important that they keep coming because he does recognize them in some capacity. And it's joy. And it brings him joy. And that's what we all need to remember is that he is making a connection, and we have to make sure that we continue those connections. In the same uh, avenue, though, we need to make sure that the children understand what's going on, that they may not call him by the right name, but it's okay because Papa is so happy in that moment. And just making sure that the children are okay. So in remembering the exact names, possibly they might not, but they're recognizing the compassion and the feeling that the person has in front of them. Right. And that's what they need for that connection. I I, um, I used to work at the Board of Ed, and me and the security guard used to talk about her mom. She was, um, you know, losing her memory, had dementia or Alzheimer's, one or the other, I don't know. But um, she was seeing how her mother didn't recognize her, but her mother would call her her sister. Mm-hmm. Like, the mother thought that her daughter was her own sister. Right. And I, I was telling her, and I said, that's kind of a way to get to know your mother a little better because now she's going to talk to you like you're her... Like, you know, when, when she thinks you're her sister, she's going to talk to you like you're her sister. Mm-hmm. And there are things you can find out about your mother that maybe she wouldn't have talked right. to you about right. as her daughter. You know, so it's kind of like deal with them where they are. Absolutely. Always meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I'll be sitting with families, um, and our first instinct is to correct the individual to Mm -hmm. make sure all of the stories are accurate. But I like your idea. Meet them where they're at and go with their stories because you might learn something new about your loved one, and it might just be incredible. And I always also say, ask them their opinions. They have so much wisdom, Mm -hmm. and we want to hear their stories. So let them tell their stories. Let them give their opinions. They have the ability to do that. Okay. Is there a cure for Alzheimer's? So there are medications such as Namenda, Aricept, and a few others on the market. However, none of these are cures. Many medications are utilized in the early stages of the disease. However, I feel our best treatment coming from a recreational therapist is engagement and socialization, and more importantly, being involved in the community. And here in New York City, I will say that this is a dementia-friendly city. We have a lot of museums that open their doors and gear their tours towards individuals with a memory impairment. We have a lot of um, 
different other things, such as a musical group out of NYU called The Unforgettables, and it is run and facilitated by individuals with a memory impairment. So you just have to seek out what's there, and if you do need that information, you know, you know, give ICS a call and we can help you find those resources out in the community. So what we do here at Independence Care System is that we go out to the home, we look at what their strengths are, and then we help the loved one, the member, and the aide that's already in the home develop what we call a rhythm of the day. And what that does is it takes into account their strengths throughout the day. What can they participate in? How can they still be the head of their household? Because many of them are, and they should still feel that way. Mm -hmm. And what kind of purpose can they still have in the day? So some of the things that we do is we use a lot of music, Mm-hmm. Music is something that really stays intact till the very end okay, because they that. still have that rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to take that as a strength. Another thing, um, we kind of look back into what their past passions were and how can mm-hmm. we adapt those passions so that they can still do them today. So, for example, one of the members that I worked with, she loved to cook. Mm-hmm. Now, me, I do not, but I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to meet her where she's at. So right. we have a recipe where we broke it down, and it had one step at a time with a picture okay. of the step. So we were trying to get all the ingredients. So each ingredient had a picture, and she had the pen, and she would check off every time she saw the yeah. ingredient on the table. And then we ended up making an apple dip. And one of the things that happens is that's something we all have to do is eat, right? Right. But what happens in the home is either the loved one or the aide does it for the member. Right, right. Now she's a part of making her own refreshments during the day. So she has a purpose, and she's head of her own household again. Now, when when people are experiencing this, do they realize that they're experiencing this? So there are some individuals that are aware. There's actually a wonderful group that I watch regularly. Um, It is facilitated by Lori LeBay and some of her friends. And you can see them on YouTube. It's a dementia chat. And they are individuals that have a diagnosis of some form of dementia. Some of them are Alzheimer's disease. Some are frontal temporal dementia. Some are dementia with Lewy body. And they actually virtually chat. There's about nine of them and they chat online and they talk about what their needs are how they need to be communicated with what they're going through in the day and they're their that's the biggest advocate that we could have is individuals that have been diagnosed because how do we learn we only learn from them they need to tell us we need to listen to what their needs are so those individuals absolutely know what is going on and they're teaching us because we can't teach others if we don't listen to them And that is a dementia chat, and you can find it online, and it's beautiful to listen to. And they want you to listen because they want to educate us. So as as a a family member of someone who might be experiencing this, what what do you do? Where do you get help? Where do you? And I think that's the first step is... You know, the the care managers at ICS have to work and gain the trust of the caregiver Mm -hmm. because, and we need to acknowledge that they know their loved one the best. So we can't just go in and say, you need help. You need to do this. Mm -hmm. You need to do that. We have to gain their trust and we need to develop a relationship. Once the care manager has gained that relationship, then we can look at outside resources. I actually feel we're quite blessed here in New York City. We have three wonderful organizations here. The first one I'll mention 
mention is the Alzheimer's Association. They have a 24-hour hotline, and it's you know um, facilitated by licensed social workers. And so we don't get to pick when we might need support. It could be two in the morning, three in the morning. And to have somebody available 24 hours that is a professional, I think that just you know kind of brings down the anxiety that you may be experiencing. Um, so I think that that's one of the strong uh, programs that the Alzheimer's Association uh, services New York City with. The other one is Caring Kind, and one of the reasons I do like Caring Kind is all of the money that they raise stays right here in New York City. So it funds all of the programs that they offer to individuals with memory impairment and all the education that they provide to the care partners. And so once a month on a Monday in the evening, they do provide an educational program for the care partners. They also provide um, home health aid training and they provide in-person support groups all over the city. You can live in Queens, you can live in Brooklyn, but it's in-person. Now that's caring? Caring kind. Care in kind. So it's caring, caring, got it. kind, got it. but they okay. put the word okay. all got together. Okay. Yes, and I think it's appropriate. Caring, kind. It's kind of a nice little term. Um, and then the third organization is the Alzheimer's Foundation of America, and I think some of the programs that they offer that I find so wonderful are they have a six-hour training program for professionals to become a certified dementia care professional, and they also have a concepts and care conference for. An individual with a memory impairment, a care professional, anybody can join. But the best part is it's free. And that's actually all around the United States. They stopped in 15 different states this year. And I'm sure next year, if we're lucky, they're going to expand. And then the third thing that they offer is not all families can get out of their home to come to these support groups. So they actually offer a telephone support group. So if you need an in-person, you can go to Caring Kind. If you need telephone, you can go to the Alzheimer's Foundation of America. Again, not every city has all three of these organizations and all three programs kind of highlight different areas of needs that our care partners might need. So I think we're pretty blessed in that aspect. Okay. Now, you, you had mentioned about that family member who feels like they can't leave mm-hmm. their their loved one. Um, and sometimes you hear in the news of older people who are experiencing some type of dementia leaving the house and getting lost uh, or something like that. For the, for the caregiver, it's like I'm imagining it's like having a toddler that knows mm-hmm. how to get to things and do things. I can't imagine what it's like for the for a caregiver to 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 experience this and to what do, what do you do what what do they you know right like, right what do they and, do? and it's true and I think um, what you were alluding to is that you know one of the symptoms that often can um, happen and I is, didn't mean any offense by saying it's like a toddler but that's the only no, thing that I could, I, I could and, think of and many people reference it that way because okay. they see it as you know you're reverting back because mm-hmm. what happens is many skills are being taken away right? right and so as you're you know you have your baby and you're gaining skills and so right. we're you know reverting back so but I'm imagining that this the, the person who has the diagnosis still has moments when they can when they feel they can do certain things like mm-hmm. you know you might have grandma used to take a walk every morning and so she wants to go on her walk mm-hmm. and but now she has this issue and she gets lost or she forgets you know halfway through her walk or something like that right so it's like how how does 
that's a lot of, to be with somebody for 24 hours. It's a it's very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, there's a lot of pressure, and these are what caregivers tell us. Um, I will say, though, um, there's usually a reason for everything mm-hmm. that a person with a memory impairment does. So the people use all different terms, wandering, elopement, um, purposeful walking, um, you know, things like that. I believe that no matter what term you want to use, there's an underlying cause of why they're walking out that door. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you just said, they always went on a walk every morning. So what we have to do is put supports in place so that they can continue to do that walking. And so it might be that we have a volunteer that shows up at 8.30 every morning and goes on the walk so she can still take that walk. Because what we don't want to do... When people get this diagnosis, what we do is we take things away. Right, right. Because we're concerned for their safety. And them to what you can do. Yes. And like what, I'm here, I'm here to watch you or or whatever, and you don't take into consideration. And we need to remember they're still adults, they still need a purpose, and they still need a routine. Mm -hmm. And so having a volunteer show up at 8 o'clock in the morning for that morning walk, that is what that person needs. Otherwise... The person may get lost on their way or they're going to try and get out that door because one of the things I think is very um, important is, yes, they have a diagnosis of some form of dementia, right? That doesn't make them stupid. Right, right, right. They're still a human being. And so we need to make sure how can we support them in what their passions have always mm-hmm. been and how do we make sure they have a quality of life. Mm-hmm. And so with, you know, when we say we're worried about them wandering outside the house, maybe we should plan scheduled walks outside the house because everybody needs sunlight. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it's, 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 um, it's a need that everybody has, and it also helps the sleep cycle because, you know, I get called out into the home quite a bit that the member will not sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And then I'll ask, well, what did they do all day? Sleep. Sleep or watch TV. (laughs) You know, it it makes me think of um, my niece. She has autism. She's autistic. Mm -hmm. And um, she's a very intelligent little girl, but she's nonverbal. And because she's nonverbal, we tended to treat her younger than she was. And I'm imagining that with, you know, as a person with this condition, and I keep saying with condition, this condition, this diagnosis, because I'm not sure what, what okay. you know, whether to say dementia mm-hmm. or Alzheimer's. You can just say dementia. Okay, dementia. Okay, a person with dementia, um, as they start to lose their abilities and, and uh, memory and everything like that, we just start to treat them like babies, mm-hmm. you know, and not realizing, like what, what we noticed with my niece and um, my sister uh, had noticed was that she was starting to... You know, like you said, they have a need. You know, there's a need. And the behavior follows the need. Right. And my sister was just thinking, she was just, you know, like she's pulling my sister and pulling my Mm -hmm. sister because she can't talk. Right. You know, but you're just going around about your day. Right. You know, and so, but when my sister turns around and think, you know, and look and see what's going on, her pants are falling down or, you know, but she can't say, my pants are falling down. So you really have to pay attention and not just sit there and make sure they don't hurt themselves. Right. You really have to 
recognize that this person is a person? Most behaviors, there is a reason. Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of goes back to what we all learn in school is the, the Maslow theory. Mm -hmm. So we have to meet our physical needs first, right? right. So have we been nourished? Mm -hmm. Do we have enough drink? Have we gone to the bathroom, right? Because right? if we're not right, going to the right, bathroom, right. that might be labeled as wandering, where we're walking right. around trying to find right, the bathroom, right, right. and now we have a label that we're a wanderer, when actually I just needed to right, use the right, bathroom. Right, right, right. I'm a peer. Um, no, right? I'm right? Um, the other, you know, what about pain? That's a physical need, right? right? I get called because they are resisting care, and then when I look, they might have some contractures. Mm -hmm. So... I bet that really hurts when you're trying to get a bed bath and right. all of your limbs are being pulled this way or the other. Right, right, so right. maybe a bit of pain medication before we do personal care, right? So meet those physical needs first, and then you might see that behaviors can be eliminated mm -hmm. or at least minimized. So our, our, our age of uh, patients with dementia, are, do they get any special training at all? So what I've... Because that seems to be important. What I've seen around New York City is... Um, I think that there's possibly a basic training of a few hours. Mm -hmm. um, there are some home care agencies that really spend some time. I know a couple that have two days of full just Alzheimer's training, mm -hmm. which I think is phenomenal, and those tend to be the better um, home care organizations, and we get the least calls from oh, <laughs> because okay, the good. aides are equipped. Because, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I get called into the home, and... The aide wants to learn. They're okay. eager for that knowledge. They mm -hmm. want to absorb the knowledge because you wouldn't be in this business if you didn't care. They mm, care some deeply. Of them, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, another, that's another podcast. Go ahead. I, I, I honestly, the ones that I'm running into, because it's a difficult job. Right. It is a difficult job. And there, I mean, you can they go and be a, more. I'm sorry. You can they be deserve a cashier. more. <laughs> you can be a cashier at a grocery store. Right. That would be much easier than what they're doing. Right? So I, I feel that they've picked a caring field for mm -hmm. a reason. Right. There's something that keeps bringing them back. So I will work with them and do training in the home side by side on that particular member. Mm -hmm. And then I do a follow-up to see, our, how are we doing? How are we doing? And then we may readjust the rhythm depending mm -hmm. on what their feedback is. So I, I do feel that um, home care agencies could utilize some more training. Um, but I do think there's some that are really hitting the mark. And we just need to spread that across um, New York. No, I have I have a question. Is that something that ICS can require of the home care agencies that they work with that uh, we we would like for you to get special training for our dementia uh, consumers? So I do know that um, one of the things that I've been brought on to ICS to do is really to develop a dementia program and part of that is looking at what the training is for home care agencies and possibly approaching some of those home care agencies to provide training that aligns with the philosophy at ICS. Okay. So that would be future. Okay. Okay. That's good. Okay, Nettie, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Any, is, is there anything else that you'd like to add that maybe I've forgotten to ask? Well, I just want to reiterate that I do believe the most important thing, if you do have a loved one that has a form of memory impairment, that engagement is so extremely important because you know that cliche, if you don't use it, you lose it. Right, right. That is so the case in this situation. And really give that pause because you may be surprised that they really do have answers. Okay, great. Thank you, Nettie.
And thank you for having me. That was Nettie Harper, director of ICS's Dementia Program. You have been listening to Independence Radio, a broadcast of Independence Care System, a community-based nonprofit agency serving the Bronx, Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens, and dedicated to supporting older adults and adults with physical disabilities and chronic conditions to live at home and participate fully in community life. To learn more, visit www.icsny.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Stephanie Wallace, founder of the Late Network. You can learn more about what we do at facebook.com slash love and intimacy for the disabled. Bye-bye.